Are you passionate about making a difference through design? Join us at the Human Centered Design Network's Circle, a new private community for change makers just like you. Connect with like minded professionals, gain exclusive rights to monthly learning opportunities, and lead the change in human centered design. For more information, see thisishcd.com. Now, let's get back into that episode. What are the other misconceptions about what a design system is? Oh God, there's so much to say. I think one problem that we have is that I think people think that design system means one thing and they kind of have this quite specific implementation of that in their heads. And I wrote a blog post on this recently. I think that it's really interesting because it's really changed the communications directive for people like me who are often sort of selling design systems into organizations. Because maybe five to 10 years ago, that conversation always had to start with an explanation of what a design system was from Mm. scratch. So you'd say design system and people would be like, what What's that? Now you say design system and even stakeholders who are quite removed from design systems and haven't necessarily worked on one directly are usually coming to the table now in my experience with some kind of preconception about what a design system is. So we're almost now having to, I think, sort of help people to unlearn what they think they know about design systems and then rebuild from there. And I think for me, we're in quite a dangerous place there because those preconceptions are not aligned. Greetings from an icy, snowy and bitterly cold Dublin folks. And as always, a very warm welcome to Business 8 CD. We welcome everyone to the show and are delighted to have you with us for the next 30 or 40 minutes. My name is Jerry Scullion, I'm a designer, I'm an educator, and I'm the host of This Is 8CD. As I said, based in the wonderful city of Dublin, Ireland. Now, our goal here is to have conversations that inspire and help move the dial forward for organisations to become more human-centred in their approach to solving complex business and societal problems. I caught up with Amy Hoop, a content designer and design system consultant based in the UK. And in this conversation, we drill into what a design system is and what a design system is not and talk about the governance processes around managing design systems. Leaning on Amy's seven-year experience, which included working at the GDS, or as Amy says, GDS, not the GDS in the UK, and more. Amy's a total rock star. And I know you're going to love listening to her. Now, if you like what we're doing at This Is CD, please help us out by leaving a review wherever you listen to this podcast. It only takes a couple of minutes. It really helps us, helps other people find the podcast and so forth. We want to be able to try and reach as many people as possible. And those algorithms love your beautiful words about This Is CD. And obviously, our preference is a five-star review there if you do like that. Or you can go one better by becoming a patron. You can get an ad-free stream of the podcast for as little as €1.66 per month. We know, Jerry, it's €20 Euros per year. You get a shout-out as thanks. And there's other plans there we can get exclusive items too. And as I say before, all the money goes towards editing, hosting, and maintaining our website. So if you do like what we do and you want to support us, we're now over 230 episodes deep into human-centered design goodness. Let's jump into the episode. Amy, welcome to This Is 8CD. Um, maybe start off and tell us a little bit about what you do. And how do you describe yourself when you're at a, say, a dinner party or at a family event? Disarming, yeah. That's how I would describe myself, ironically. Disarming, disarming, yeah. Charming and disarming. No, so I am a, uh, a consultant based in the UK and I focus on two areas mainly. So first one is content design. And the second one is design systems. Mm. And I often mix the two. So I quite end up, I quite often end up working on 
um, design system documentation and kind of content strategy and stuff, which blends those two worlds nicely. Mm. But my current contract with my client that I'm working with right now is uh, as design systems manager. It's the job title that I've given myself. Um, So yeah, I do a kind of mix of leading design systems work and, and focusing on documentation stuff. So you're kind of mixing the the how and the why. So how you build it with design systems and why you build it, I guess, is trying to understand the the underlying need for the content. Is that fair to say? I think so. Yeah, I think most things are a blend of those things. So I know um, we've got mutual, I guess, friends that have connected us over the last couple of months. Mm-hmm. Um, used to work at the GDS. Is that how you got started in content design? The GDS. Just GDS. Um, GDS. <laughs> yeah, the GDS is like the way that my mum would describe it, I think. No offense, mum. No, I'm probably not a similar, <laughs> too dissimilar age to your mum. Similar mother. age, sure. Um, yeah, I used to work at, at GDS, so that was kind of where I got started with design systems. So I joined them in, let's look, uh, 2017, and right. I worked there for three years, and then I started working as a consultant off the back of that. Always right. good to have a GDS gig under your belt if you're going to try and be a consultant because people it like that. The, the the kind of the sort of the badge of honor, you know, you, you've you've done your time, you've you've got you earned your stripes, so to speak. Yeah, it's funny people see it like that, like you've done your time, and actually, it's the it was the best, most enjoyable job I've ever had. I think so. It it's a like very it. nice badge of Why? honor to earn. Why, Why was it the best? Yeah. Oh, just the people were the best. Just like I, I felt like every day I got to go and work with really clever people that made me want to be a better human being. And that was really nice. I think hopefully they did make me a bit of a better human being. Yeah. It's um it seems to be like one of those places where they they really uh, everyone goes in there and they lift their game. And yeah. they, le- they learn an awful lot from working in a really powerful way, like, you know, to, to deliver good. Um, mm-hmm. That's my experience of speaking to, to several alumni of, of GDS. Um, yeah, I think that's true. I think the culture at GDS is really strong. And I think it's that kind of shared set of values that exists there that kind of makes it such a nice place to work because you quite often find yourself at GDS really arguing over the detail and the mm. best way to achieve things. But what I, what I found at GDS was I was never arguing about the premise of the things that we were trying to do. It all, mm. all felt like we were all quite aligned in terms of wanting to make things inclusive and accessible and do the right thing. And sort of ethically, I would say everybody that I worked with anyway felt quite aligned, which was really nice. You didn't have to justify the existence of design within the process. Is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. No no need to sort of justify the importance of design, at least not at the level I was working at. I'm sure some of the people that worked there at a more senior level had to have those conversations, but we were quite well shielded from it, I think. Um, But also just, yeah, things like accessibility. It's, I'm realizing kind of quite rare to be able to go and work somewhere Mm. where you don't have to ever talk about why you should make things accessible or why you should try and make things inclusive. It's baked into the DNA, I guess, um, at mm-hmm. somewhere like GDS, not their GDS. <laughs> the GDS. Um, and, you know, it, it's how many years have you out of there now? You're out of there two or three years you, you've left. Yeah, um, coming up for three years now. Coming up to three years. 
So you've been working mainly, and especially at GDS, you were looking at design systems. Okay, for people yeah. who don't know what a design system is, um, I've I have an idea. I've never Go gone. And, uh, no, don't ask me to explain. Okay, I have to explain <laughs> it. To me, we're, when maybe about 10, 12 years ago, we used to look at the atomic level of the components required to to build applications and, and websites and everything that we do in a digital manner. And mm-hmm. we would look at the atomic level of the HTML and how they come together using Brad Frost and Andy Clark. I did an awful lot of work in that space way back in the day. Um, and we really kind of leveraging the the patterns and the interactions to standardize them. So you've got a more of a unified um, experience from an interaction design level and also from a service design level as well and how they all interact. Is that a bad explanation or how, how no, can I It's definitely not a bad explanation. I think there's, I'm trying to actually shift the way that I talk about design systems and mm. think about them and approach the work of creating them. So I think most of the time when you ask someone what a design system is, yeah. they will give you a definition that's tied to the way that we tend to implement them today. Mm. So they'll say something like, oh, it's a, it's a mix of um, tools and processes and kind of artifacts that we set up to try and make things more efficient consistent and scalable and mm. usually that will include a you know a code base that um groups things in these kind of atomic buckets like you've mentioned brad frost there which is one way mm. of organizing and categorizing things in a design system and it may also have a kind of design library counterpart so maybe integration mm. with something like figma or sketch And then it'll also have documentation and that often lives on a documentation website. Sometimes it lives embedded in the tools that you're using for your design system. Mm -hmm. And then around that, we also have common processes and sort of services. So things like support, how does a design system team support its users and contribution? So how can we help people from within the organization where the design system exists to contribute their own experiences and expertise into it? Mm -hmm. And what I started to think about and to talk about is the idea that that's just how we do design systems most of the time today. Mm. But something that really sparked a kind of new way of thinking about this for me was something that Gina Ann said a couple of years back, which was design systems are just your design practice as a system. And I think that's a really helpful way to look at them. So if we think if your organization designs things and delivers them, then whether or not you've created in quote marks, a design system, you already have a design system of some description and it might not be set up to meet your goals, but you'll have something, even if that's loads of localized style guides and fragmented code bases and a really sort of, creaky handover process between designers and developers start by thinking about that as your design system and then think about how you can sort of shepherd it towards something that better meets Mm. your goals whatever those goals are right now so does that make sense yeah it does um i'm learning stuff here on the fly actually so in in olden times of say like five to ten years ago um way back when way back people were downloading like bootstraps and all of these different component libraries and just kind of going well that's it done i'm like no 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 no, it's not i I was trying to find the vocabulary and the the rationale about how it's more than this and Mm -hmm. it seems like it's obviously matured an awful lot more since then but every organization has their own design process Mm -hmm. you know 
we, we follow similar patterns, but you know, the people involved are all unique. They have different nuances. Um, is there a way, and you could probably shoot me with a stare when I say this, is there a way that's become standard? Is there, is there like a, a software or something out there that, that works with the flexibility of the design processes that might lead you to be able to have a unified system that includes documentation, design libraries and design systems under, under the wood hood, one hood, so to speak. You mean like a, a single kind of tool or platform that yeah. does everything for you for yeah. design systems? Yeah. I think there are definitely attempts to create those. Um, mm. I'm probably not going to mention specific providers oh. of them right now because A, I think I'm probably a little removed from the ins that. and outs of what individual providers can do. Yeah. Um, also, I don't want to kind of inadvertently market Promote. anybody's product. Um, yeah. I think there are attempts to do that, but I think... Part of why I've started to talk about design systems in this way, in this more flexible way, is because I think that we have perhaps started to get to a place where we're trying really hard to to sort of formularize and standardize something that actually is quite nuanced and quite context dependent. Mm-hmm. So I, in my experience, every I've worked on four design systems sort of full time for a, a kind of sustained period of time now, and I've consulted on many more in between that and in my experience every single design system has a slightly different set of requirements and has a slightly different set of tools and processes that it uses to to meet those requirements so i i guess i would be very skeptical about whether there is one tool or one platform that can meet those needs the reason why i say that is because again i'm not in this space anymore and I know there was confluence for places mm. that um, included the processes around how to use these different things. And some parts of the business technology would tend to say, well, that's where we put all our documentation. You have to use this. Mm-hmm. And I was just trying to see, was there, um, has there been an evolution in that space around a unified product? And it's, it's probably good that there's not um, because, you know, if there's another tool in there as well, it's just another thing for people to use. So how do you go about creating, like say, you know, there's a startup who's maybe five years old and they Google amyhoop.co.uk. That is a That's promotion. right. Well done. <laughs> um, and they say, okay, listen, look, you know, we're really interested in content design and design systems. Um, totally. We, we've got, had a number of designers working on the team and we've got feedback that there's lots of different the system is behaving different in different ways and we we think we think it's going to save us some money okay do you think that's a pretty common um framing of how people and why people would start this kind of process i think it depends (laughs) there standard cop-out answer I think it depends on where you are so one thing that I've observed is that in general and I am speaking generally because there are of course exceptions to this in the US for example the design systems kind of space seems to be a few years ahead of where we are here in the UK why is that I think why is that I don't know I don't know if it's kind of something to do with tech and Silicon Valley and the fact that you know a lot of kind of tech is slightly, you know, kind of things start there sometimes. I don't Mm. know if it's anything to do with that. 
I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I've got no idea honestly why it happens, but I do think that it's the case. And I say that because I kind of talk quite frequently to other design system consultants. And actually there aren't that many of us in the UK and there are a lot of them in the US. And when I talk to the ones in the US, they're always kind of the, the perception I get from them is they're very rarely being asked to go in and set up design systems anymore because a lot of organizations you know by and large are kind of there by now Mm -hmm. um so their questions are more like we already have a design system but it's not really working or how do we get people to use it or how can we kind of reinvigorate our design system somehow whereas in the uk i think there are still an awful lot of people going we should probably have a design system um so yes that's maybe typical of conversations that i would have with clients in the uk Mm. um but yeah i think it kind of what i often find is at the point that i start to engage with an organization there has already been at least one often more attempts to create something like a design system yeah and usually they're kind of approaching me at the point that they want to really sort of formalize that work and they want to start really getting it off the ground and and throwing some money at it Mm. and they're kind of like where do we start you know how do we how do we move this forward well what would you say you've worked in this space for six seven years at this stage yeah we've covered some of the misconceptions but what would you say are the other misconceptions about design systems so when you go to say conferences that are a general ux conferences and you hear people saying oh, i love design systems yeah i use bootstrap as my favorite design system um you know well, what are the other misconceptions about what a design system is oh god there's so much to say i think one kind of one problem that we have is is what i've sort of alluded to so far which is that i think people think that design system means one thing hmm. and they kind of have this quite specific implementation of that in their heads and I wrote a blog post on this recently. I think that it's really interesting because it's really changed the communications directive for people like me who are often sort of selling yeah. design systems into organizations. Because maybe five to 10 years ago, that conversation always had to start with an explanation of what a design system was from mm. scratch. So you'd, you'd say design system and people would be like, what was that? Now you say design system and even stakeholders who are quite removed from design systems and haven't necessarily worked on one directly Mm. are usually coming to the table now, in my experience, with some kind of preconception about what a design system is. So we're almost now having to, I think, sort of help people to unlearn what they think they know about design systems and then rebuild from there. Mm. And I think for me, we're in quite a dangerous place there because those preconceptions are not aligned. It's not like everybody has the same mental model of a design system. They just have quite a strong one. So often what I'm doing is kind of going, I know you all think you know what a design system is, but the idea that you have in your head and you have in your head and you have in your head are probably all slightly different. So we Mm. need to talk about what we mean when we say design system here. And, and even in circles that kind of know more about design systems, I think you can see this playing out like something there's this sort of trope that appears all the time on Twitter and there's quite often blog posts about it and stuff of people saying, oh, that's not a design system. That's just a UI kit or that's not a design system. That's just a component library. And I think it's based on this premise that we all have this single idea about what a design system is and and the right way to do it. And what I'm starting to see now, and I hope that I'm kind of contributing to that is this 
pushback against this sort of dogmatic idea of design systems and this definition of them into something that's much more flexible and much more kind of uh changeable depending on the context Mm. so i think yeah concept misconception one is is that design system means one thing everywhere and then the other big one i see a lot is the role of contribution in design systems being really sort of misunderstood often not by people who are experienced in working on design systems or who've had some experience of working on design systems but usually from stakeholders who perhaps are invested in the design system for one reason or another who see contribution as a way to grow a design system faster so the idea is, you know, well, we only have a small design system team here, but if we can get every designer and developer in the organization to contribute, then we can grow the design system much, much quicker. Yeah. And it's like, that's great if you're going to create the time and space and permission for them to do that alongside their day job. But presumably, you also still want them to do the thing that you've hired them into the organization to do. And Mm. actually when it boils down to it, you probably want them to do that more than you want them to contribute to the design system. Mm. So in order for them to contribute to the design system, something's got to give. And usually Mm. that thing is speed. So when we work, when we're working in in design system teams and we work with external contributors, it's often a much slower process because you have to fit things around their other priorities yeah than it would be for a design system team to just create something for themselves and i should say i think contribution is really valuable i feel really strongly that design systems should support contribution for lots of reasons but i just think the speed isn't one of them and i think it's often seen and explained as this kind of shortcut to growing Mm. a system and actually it's the opposite it probably slows us down more than anything else what are the cons for creating (laughs) Sorry, say that again. What are the cons for creating a design system? Well, again, I think I'd go back to what I said earlier. I think when we talk about creating a design system, I'd argue you probably already have one. If what we're talking about is formally investing in a design system, what Mm. are the downsides of that? Then I guess I don't know if there's a downside to it, but I think there can be sort of missed, mixed expectations about what a design system is going to do. So I I wouldn't say that there's a con because I see it as just aligning your design and development processes with Mm. your goals better. That's what I think we mean when we say creating a design system. But I think, sorry. The reason I jump in there, Amy, was Mm. just because um, in my experience, some of my peers, kind of threw their eyes up to heaven when, when a design system was on, was in place because yeah. it created another hurdle in order for um, approval processes to to get into the design system in order for things to happen that weren't already present in the design system. And it can somewhat um, disempower the the freedom that, say, service designers, if, they, if service design is a relatively new thing in an organization, and traditionally UX um, or interaction design, whatever it was, has already been in place. And the service designer might kind of see that there's actually a need for other patterns that don't exist. It's yet another hurdle for, you have to suddenly work with this new team for the design system team. Is that a a realistic con, do you think? 
I think that's more to do with the type of design system that you build and how you create it and manage it than design systems in general. So Mm. if you have a very strict design system and your outlook is that everything that gets used in our products and services has to have some kind of presence in the design system, then yes, I definitely think that's going to become problematic and the, the, yeah. the design system is going to end up being a bottleneck for what you want to do yeah but I think for, for me that's a, an argument for making sure that product work and individual service work can move at its own pace mm. and can be decoupled um from design system work because I mm. think something that I see a pattern that I see a lot is when people are pitching for investment for design systems they talk a lot about duplication of effort so they say look at all this all this money we're wasting this person over here is building buttons this person over here is building buttons times that by 50 teams we're spending millions of pounds on our buttons and we could just make one button and everybody would be happy yeah and we'll save so much money and that's a very kind of reductive explanation of what's happening and sort of promise of design systems Mm. and it's I think necessarily simplified to just get the message across to people who perhaps don't understand it well Mm. but one of the downsides of telling that story is that the second you get funding everybody in the organization suddenly finds duplication of effort to be an intolerable urgent problem to solve yeah so it's like they've been tolerating it for years you've just had to spend months persuading them that it's a problem worth addressing and then the second that a penny gets spent on the design system, they're like, hold on a second, that person over there has made a text input and that person over there has made one and this mustn't happen ever again now that we have a design yeah. system. You promised us it was going <clears> to <throat> stop this. And actually, I think you still need to be able to diverge before you can converge on a single design system solution for anything. Mm. Right? We have to incorporate that experimentation that kind of contextual adaptation that has to still be part of our process so a design systems take time to to kind of populate it can't solve every problem from day one and Mm. b i think having a design system doesn't mean that you should never be able to have individual product solutions ever again quite the opposite i think it's yeah. it's a kind of it's a prerequisite to a design system success that you can allow that multiplication to mm. happen before converging on something for everybody to use so let's talk about the governance of um design systems okay who, who should be involved in the governance of the design system moving on i know you're going to say probably a design systems team but generally what's made up of that and then the second part to that question is who are you seeing as being the accountability owner for the the service of the design system within within the business? Is it a technology ownership or is it traditional or maybe a product management ownership or is it the head of design? Uh, I'm keen I'm keen to understand that dynamic a little bit more as well. Yeah. So, I mean, I definitely would always advocate having a design system team working on a design system to kind of manage things like contribution and support and conversations about what goes into the design system or not. I think full-time employees. Yeah, I think so. I think you, you kind of have to, like someone once made this comparison. I can't remember who it was, I'm afraid, but that, you know, you don't, you don't retire your accounts team. And I think that's kind of how you have to see design systems. Like they're they're providing organizational infrastructure that needs maintenance mm. and governance and 
that doesn't just happen by itself. So you don't build a design system and then send the team away that's built it because it's going to go out of date and it's a living entity that needs nourishment and needs cultivation Mm. over time. So I definitely would advocate always having a full-time team working on a design system. Yeah. Um, In terms of who owns it ultimately, I think that's really tough and I've seen it kind of be different in different organizations. Sometimes it's engineering, sometimes it's design, sometimes it's product, sometimes it's something else. I think for me, something that I've tried to encourage and push for is to at least have equality of ownership or neutrality of ownership when it comes Mm. to design or development. So I think it can be problematic when a design system is ultimately owned by engineering or design and you know, therefore more one or the other, because it, it starts to create an imbalanced system. Like if you have a design system that's owned by engineering, quite often you'll see that it's an engineering led design system. And there's more of an emphasis on code than there is on supporting designers, for example. Likewise, if you have design systems that are ultimately owned by a design division in the organization, then Mm. unless those two disciplines work really closely together, you're probably going to see an overemphasis on things like, or how do we create our Figma library and less emphasis on what does this actually look like in production? Yeah. So I think it's possible you can have engineering teams owning design systems and being very mindful of the design side of them and vice versa. But I think it's easier if you can either have somebody in a neutral role owning that work. So product, for example, Mm. or if you can somehow create shared ownership so that it's a sort of dual managed thing between design and engineering. I think that's what they do at GitHub. And mm. from what I hear, that works quite well for them. They have a sort of uh, design lead and an engineering lead managing that work. And okay. they sort of share ownership of it. Which which sounds cool. Um, well, one of the things that I'm seeing in Australia is the emergence of design operations. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know Dave Maloof does quite a lot of work in, in um, design operations as well. Is this a similar thing? Because it sounds like over the last uh, maybe five, five or six years, it's evolved a lot more into the opera. Op, try to say that word: the operationalization of of design. When you start looking at the process and 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 the actual the process of how we're creating things, is there is is there a sort of a, a convergence there, um, or or am I I'm missing the point? No, not missing the point at all. I think there's definitely an overlap between those things. The the relationship as I see it is design systems form part of design operations. So I think of design ops as a a broader kind of question about how do we enable design to happen within our organization? And that covers things like how do we hire designers? How do we onboard them? How do we, how do they progress in their careers? What tools do they use? You know, what, like how do we expect them to work? What processes do they follow? Design systems, I think, are something a little bit more specific, which will touch on, yeah, there'll be design systems will be impacted by those things and they will impact those things and they have to work within that decision framework that's mm. been set by the design ops at the organization. Um, but I, I do see it as a kind of a subset of design operations, I think. So going back to the governance piece, I keep on going yes. back to governance. People are like, we love governance, back. don't we? People are rolling their eyes going, Scullion is on the governance <laughs> bandwagon again. So what skills are in there? Okay, because I have a lot of friends and I'm coaching an organization that are heavily on the development side of things and they're they're trying to upskill into design as well. Okay, so 
I'm I'm looking at those that that organization specifically when I'm thinking about this. The development side of the fence, who's represented in the design system governance piece, or are they? How do you? I'm not sure I understand the question. How do you mean who's represented in? Do you have a full stack um, technical developer within the design government? Because there's a reliance, and and I'm I'm trying to understand the inclusivity of the design system to make sure that it's not just another silo that has been created. Yeah. Um, yeah, I understand what you mean. So I think when, when you say governance in this context, do you mean in terms of who kind of, who maintains the design system, who builds it, who maintains it, who keeps it going, who makes decisions about it? Is that what you mean? Exactly. So are they represented from a hub and spoke perspective? Do mm-hmm. you have members and you said it's a full-time role. So you could have somebody who is, for want of a better way, a sub, on a sabbat- sabbatical in the design systems team for like a year, two years, but the reporting line is still going back into engineering. Yeah. That, so, yeah. I think like what feels really important to me, whatever happens, is that you have a balance of representation between designers and developers. Yeah. Um, I think what's most relevant for design systems is front end development. There will be. Mm need to be conversations with back end sometimes, but I think most of the time it's front end development. Um, and I think in my experience, the people who work full time on design systems tend to act as kind of conduits between the community of practice that they are part of, whether that's front end development or design or a you know, specific type of design um, and the design system. So I think that quite often the structure, as I've seen it, has been your kind of member of this community of practice. So you work as part of the mm. front end development team and your role day to day is on the design system team. Mm. And, and so you have a relationship with those two things. Okay. But certainly I think it shouldn't be kind of just designers working on the design system. Okay. It's really interesting because w- when I'm speaking to you, I see... I see somebody who's flicking between different uh, roles. I see mm-hmm. like the design system piece, and then there's also the the compassionate side for what it's like for a designer working in those in those roles. Is that the key skills for somebody working in in design systems? Because you're you're balancing it really nicely. I can hear it in the conversation where you're saying, "Well, that's actually it's like for them, and it's also like for them." So you're like a bridge between these two worlds, effectively. Yeah, I mean, I try to be. I think it helps that whenever I've worked on design system teams, I've sat in perhaps a more neutral role. So mm. I'm, I'm, I mean, my background is content design, which arguably <clears throat> is a, a type of design. But yeah. as a content designer working on a design system team, quite often I'm writing developer documentation. So I was always mm-hmm. sort of sat in that midpoint between everything I'm doing is for designers and developers. So I'm thinking about both of those groups of people. Okay, and then. In, you know, in my other roles, I've acted as design systems lead or design systems manager. And again, because my background isn't in sort of UI or UX design Mm. or engineering, I tend to be, I think, quite kind of balanced between those two different groups of people. Um, I think in terms of the skills needed, yeah, I definitely think kind of empathy and and people skills are really important. Um, And also just systems thinking. Like, yeah. I think if you focus, even if we take the kind of people side of it out of the equation, if you only focused your attention on one of those groups, designers or engineers, then you're not really creating a design system 
that can serve the whole picture because you're just catering to one particular area of your design process um, and you're leaving a big kind of a big bit of it overlooked. Yeah. I just want to go back to that piece. Uh, people are like, where is he going to go next? Where is he going? With the design systems manager piece. Okay. So when, yeah. when you're, when you're managing the system, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, walk me through about the, I don't want to say the governance word again. Walk me through about the decision-making process about when you say no to things that go into the design system. So I think if at all possible, and this is probably just a really obvious governance thing to say that's true mm. about everything, but you don't want to be making those decisions reactively if yeah. you can avoid it. So I think if someone comes to you with something and they're like, oh, this should go in the design system and you don't have something to point them to that says it's not going to and this is why, then you're on the back foot and that can really start to break down trust in, you know, quite quickly. Yeah. So I think it's worth having a think from the outset as early as you can really about, you know, what do we consider to be something that should go into the design system? Because as I said earlier, I don't think design systems, they're not just there to describe what exists within your organization. They're Mm. there to provide common solutions to common problems. So if it's not a common problem, then I'd argue don't create it as something that lives within your design system. Yeah. Um, so I think it's worth having some kind of criteria or something that describes what your design system is for and what it isn't mm. for at the outset. And usually the kind of first gate to that um, for I think pretty much every design system team that I've worked on are kind of two things. One is like, do we already have one of these in the design system? Because if we do, we maybe want to look at just adapting that or slightly expanding mm. what it can do rather than creating a whole brand new thing and having two very yeah. similar things for the same need. Mm. And the other thing is, is it actually needed beyond this one team? Like, is it a kind of special snowflake thing or is it something that is genuinely needed by multiple teams within the organization? Yeah. And I, I think this is completely arbitrary, but mm. a kind of rule of thumb that gets banded about quite a lot, which I think is as good as any other is once it's needed by three or more teams or in three or more contexts, that's a good point to to say, yeah, we should probably have something for this in the design system. So in terms of metrics um, Mm -hmm. that you're able to to pull in on, you know, wanted by more than three or four teams is, is great. But in terms of the, the the actual qualitative um, feedback at Mm -hmm. the granular level of how it's being received by the end person using the the product or service like you know you you're from a content design background so you know what i'm getting at here like where does that come into the conversation um in terms of the quant qual this is a really hard thing actually this is something that i find is often a point of tension um Mm. in discussions with design system teams and design system contributors because there is there are people that kind of say you know design system teams deliberate too much they they hold the bar of quality far too high and Mm -hmm. actually if our goal is to work more efficiently just get something in there it doesn't matter if it's not perfect we can iterate it just get it Mm -hmm. out there get people using it start to reduce duplication of effort and then at least we're just working on one thing which we can improve rather than having all these different versions popping up everywhere so they that's that comes back to what i was saying earlier about the sort of duplication of effort being viewed as this urgent problem to solve Mm. um i think where i sit 
is that design system teams, I think, have a responsibility to, and this is something that Nathan Curtis, who's a design systems consultant in the US, who I quote about 10,000 times a day, every single day of my life, about, honestly, um, something that he said, which I've reparated a lot since, is design system teams have a responsibility to either match or exceed the level of quality that a product team will produce on its own. Because otherwise, why would they use it, right? So like if we're asking them to swap their buttons that they've designed in their context for their users, for our buttons, then it's got to at least be a kind of, in terms of quality, it's got to at least be like for like. And ideally it should be better because you need to, you know, switching over, adopting a design system is work. So we should acknowledge that and reward that work in some way and hopefully with an improvement on what they've done. That's fair enough. You mentioned there, um, a while ago about um, development documentation and um, I know this is something that you're smiling here when, when, I say, when I'm saying this I know this is something that you actually love okay and I do. it's really interesting for me because I could not think of anything off the top of my head as, as more boring okay right <laughs> talk to me about where this fascination came from with documentation yeah just documentation oh man i could think of a thousand other jobs i'd rather do than that than reading it or writing it just writing it you haven't been so specific well you know i think a lot of people feel that way about documentation and i think that actually it's often sold as it is mind-numbingly boring and i think the reality is it's quite scary for people I think people say they're bored and I think what they actually mean is I don't know if I'm very good at this and it's a lot of work and I don't really know how to do it and I don't have a good framework for doing it. So um, so I'm just going to say that it's really boring. Like that's how I experience it. And I think for me, why documentation is interesting and exciting is something that I feel really strongly about. And I think you do too, based on the conversations that we've had hmm. is opening up our work like trying to push back on gatekeeping trying to really make our work inclusive accessible open inviting more people to participate and to be able to use the things we've built and to contribute to them and to get involved Mm -hmm. in the work that we're doing and I think there's such a huge opportunity with documentation to do that to really kind of lower the barrier to entry to really sort of push the bounds of, you know, even when I'm writing developer documentation, a lot of the time I'm trying to write it in such a way that if you're not a developer, you could broadly understand it, you know, without kind of overdoing it so that it's just completely nonsensical for developers. I really like to try and push the bounds of clear documentation to a level where it's as open and inclusive as it possibly can be. And when I've been given the space and time and encouragement to do that, I've seen such amazing results. So that was one of my favorite things about working on the WK design system was that they really backed me and supported me on this. The whole team did and the organization did. And with the team, you know, we worked on creating really clear documentation that I think the WK design system website is public. Anybody can go and look at it. You can go and look at it. And I think hopefully that that comes through in the docs, you know, something that we used to get lots of really positive feedback about was how kind of clear they were. So for me, I think that's why I care about it. It's it, I think it has such a, an important role to play when it comes to inclusion and diversity and 
all of the things that really matter, I think, within our industry. Whereas yeah. when people don't document things or they only document them in a way that's going to make sense to them and, you know, their mate, Chad, that sits next to them, it's probably, Chad. I just completely you know Chad? that from. I do, yeah, I do. I know many Chads. Um, and I think that, you know, that's that's where we start to exclude people. I don't think anyone ever does it with that intention. No. But I think that it's, you know, for me, it's the opposite thing of like introducing that intention to make documentation that is inclusive and yeah. is accessible to a broad audience of people. So you, you mentioned um, before we started recording about you're working on a course. I am. Um, how can people sign up to one the course if it's ready i don't think it is ready though what you're saying but how do they how do they follow you and how do they stay up to date on what you're doing is do you have a newsletter or are you on that old school um social media platform twitter i am on that old school social media platform twitter i don't have a newsletter yeah the course so the course that i'm working on is called writing for design systems or writing design systems documentation so it's gonna touch on a lot of the stuff i've just mentioned this was, this was the point, I think, before we started recording where your eyes rolled out of your head. But I promise to make it interesting and engaging. It's a, it's, a good, it's a good challenge for me, right? If I can make people whose eyes would yeah, otherwise absolutely. roll out of their head care about this, then I've done something right, I think. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, the best way to kind of keep up to date with that is through Twitter. I'm just Amy underscore Hoop. I'm also on Mastodon. I think my name is the same. And I'm on the social.design.systems server and through my website all my contact details are on there um and yeah at the moment i'm just getting people to it's all very informal and it's just me i don't have a marketing team so i'm just saying to people if you're interested drop me an email let me know with your email and i'll add you to my mailing list which is a password protected spreadsheet and when it's uh when i have details which i'm hoping to send out in january i will send them out and get you booked on do people have marketing teams? Is this something that <laughs> I don't know. I just I think people are probably just better at it than I am. But yeah, um, I don't know about that. Yeah, everyone I don't even I have know. an email signature. <laughs> everyone I know is just kind of muddling through the whole kind of thing, like so myself yeah. included. But Amy, okay. look, I finish every episode um, with a huge thanks for for giving me your time, your energy, and your openness. We're going to start Anytime. off a new thing, which I'm I'm stealing from um, Stephen Bartlett, who's a w- one of my favorite podcasters in the UK, mm-hmm. um, where he asks guests to ask a question to the next guest. So it can be a question about anything. So I'm putting you in the spot here, but you know, a future guest, what is the question that you'd like to put out into the ether about asking uh, our future guest? It can be anything. Oh God, no pressure. Um, I would love to give a think. I would love to know what they think, how they think inclusivity serves their work. Okay. How we think inclusivity serves their work. It was a great. But their work in particular, whatever it is that they're trying to do. How does what role does inclusivity play in the in the job they're trying to do? Awesome. Okay, we'll include that one in the next one. Amy, thanks so much for your time. No worries. Thank you. Thank you for having me. 
And there you go, folks. I hope you enjoyed that episode. And if you enjoyed it and want to listen to more, why not visit thisishcd.com where you can learn more about what we're up to and also explore our courses whilst you're there. Thanks again for listening. Thank you.